All right, welcome to Conversations in the Round. I've got some friends with me here who I'll introduce in just a minute. Um, and then we're going to dive into some discussion on what you're going to be studying, if you're studying uh, the rooted uh, materials that we've been going through as a church. The last chapter, chapter 10, is about the church. And we're going to talk about that, the essence of the church, the core of it. Like, what is it at its, you know, basic uh, what is the basic premise? But we also want to pretty quickly move into what are the challenges that face the church? What has been discovered as a result of the pandemic? And maybe most importantly, what is the church going to be? Or how does it need to be to be the church that God needs us to be in the future? That's that's really where we want to we yeah. land. One of the other things we're doing is trying to help our group leaders out by putting some front-end uh, cohesion together. So I'm doing kind of a five or six minute thing to help you all out. And then you can come back and, and dive into some of the greater conversation later. So let me, let me give you some of the basics. Um, here we go. The church, if you look up, uh, this is great. Look up church in the dictionary. <laughs> You're going to find, uh, something really stilted like this, a building that's used for Christian religious services. <laughs> that's, that's what the church is that completely misses any kind of spiritual, eternal relational depth to it. Right. That's kind of, um, that's describing it best, maybe an outward expression of the church, you know, the building that we use, the physical space. Mm. But if you say, I'll meet you at the church, you're probably going to end up at a building. So, I mean, it functionally, that's maybe the way it works, but we need a, a much more nuanced definition of church than that. Um, it'd be better to say that the church is a people. It's a community, a group mm. with a very unique identity. That, 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 that probably captures it. Group of people, a community with a unique identity. Uh, John Stott. I don't know if anybody quotes John Stott anymore, but they should. Um, he said, long, long ago, um, uh, British uh, pastor, rector, uh, just a brilliant theologian. He just said, it's God's new community. Church is God's new community. Now, with a unique, so church is a, a, a new community with a unique identity. So let me talk briefly about the identity. Um, our identity, or the church's identity, is chiefly one of faith. And this is, this is throughout the whole Bible. That you, we think about faith, and think maybe you think New Testament, but it's, it's always been about faith. Abraham, where, where it all began when this God got the attention of a human and said, hey, you live by faith, and you're going to know me, and I'm going to bless you. So it's always been about faith. But now we have our faith particularly in the Son of God, Jesus, the, the one who reconciles us, or maybe better said, solves the problem of separation that we have with God. This is our unique identity. We, we are a faith community that puts our confidence in the son of God who solved our separation problem from God. That's about as basic as I can put it here. Here's Galatians. Uh, this is Paul to a new church in Galatia. He says in Christ, you're all children of God through faith for all you who were baptized 
into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no Jew, Gentile, no slave, no free, no male, no female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's direct line and heirs according to that promise, that promise of faith. So as such, that's our identity, faith people, saved, rescued, uh, reconciled in Christ. We're further identified then by how we are and become a community together that live this out, to live this faith identity out practically in life. So we've got this core identity that then works itself out. Listen to what James says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, has no food. If one of you says to them, well, go, keep warm, you know, be well fed, but doesn't do anything about their need, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. You see how James is tying the two together? He says our identity, of course, is in faith, but that's not the end of our identity. It does something. It's, it's active. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. So our identity is wrapped up in who we are in Christ and how we live that out. So church is this new, singular, global community of faith and compassion. For in Christ Jesus Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You're all one in Christ. The only thing that counts, catch this, write this down somewhere. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And you know what that is? That's the church. That's the definition of the church. I, uh, speaking of love, I, just today I was reading a testimony of a Muslim woman. And she says, in over 20 years of being a devout Muslim, I never heard God referred to as being love mm. or commanding mm. us to love others. Mm. Islam teaches that God is merciful and kind, but the word love doesn't come up. A Muslim must worship and sacrifice for a God that doesn't ever tell you he loves you. You can't, re- you can't rely on him to console you in times of trouble. He's there to judge you and judge you alone. Quite frankly, it was incredibly depressing since I could never maintain the countless set of rules and laws. If in a life filled with disappointment from people who claim to love you and a God that doesn't consider love significant enough to mention, the simplicity of this truth was very appealing. Mm. Being loved unconditionally and learning to love others the same way has brought me extraordinary joy. Mm. So the rooted story goes on from there to talk about some of the practices of the church, which I'm not going to go into in great detail. Just wanted to define it for you. And then here's some of the things that you'll find in this study. We've already talked about this. It talks about the action or the practice of love and compassion. It talks about the practice of worship, which is essentially uh, uh, something that we do because God deserves it, but also reminds us of the posture that it's not about us, that God is at the center, that Jesus is the king. That's a very, that's a, that's a different kind of thing, but that's essentially what worship is. And then you have the sacraments, you have baptism, which is a, a personal um, commitment and a, and a public dramatization, if you will, of death and new life personally. Then you have communion, 
which is less personal, more corporate, but it's the same thing. It's a remembrance of Jesus and his death and life and the work that he did. I would add this to the practices of the church. That's not in the rooted, at least not in this last study mission, Mm. right? We, We have something that God has called us to do in this world. And then finally, maybe not a practice, but something that should be an outworking of it all, our own personal transformation, how God is growing us and maturing us and deepening us and making us more like his son. So I didn't know how to finish this. I tried to consolidate this into some kind of a definition, and I came up with two, and I don't know which one to go with. Um, I'll do this first one. So the church is then this diverse ever-expanding new ethnicity. It's new people. It's God-centered. It's Jesus-rescued. It's spirit-led. It's a compassionate faith community expressing itself through various and evolving local, physical compassions and expressions. I think that's the church. But we're going to talk about it. So uh, let's transition to a conversation here. Um, This is Adam Heath, who you know. On my far right is uh, Chris Kelly, who you know. And this, you might not know, is Pavi Thomas, a friend of ours, a friend of mine. Every time we try to figure out when we met, I don't, we (laughs) usually can't quite do it. Yeah. It could be as late as the late 80s or as long ago as the late 80s. Could be. Yeah. We've been, Poppy's been a great friend to me. Um, he's got a great mind, a great heart, very practical faith, strong theology. We, he's been involved in our residency program. Mm. He's been a primary teacher for us uh, for years now. Mm. You've offered your services. And it's been a privilege. Gosh, we yeah, appreciate really, it so much. Really. I, I just, I like having him a part of that program because I get to spend a couple minutes more often with you when we That's have part. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we, yeah. have, we have a hard time finding uh, ways to get our paths to cross, but yeah. um, I'm super glad to have you here today. Thank, thank you. For, yeah, for thank you for spending really some glad time with us. Guys. Um, Is it okay if I stand? You can. I was about to ask, are we allowed to stand? Because it hurts my back, man. (laughs) Seriously. No, you do do what you need to do. Because I want to stand, too. Yeah, do. Don't don't leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, So, uh, right out of the bat here, I'm going to turn to sort of a lighthearted opening question for everybody. But first, uh, reactions to what I just covered? Where did I get it wrong? Uh, What would you add? What, What would you highlight from a basic definition of church or how would you define it yourself in a sentence or two? Well, I would just say first, maybe thank you. Yeah. Well, that, that was good for my heart. Uh, some of the things that you said that I really uh, appreciated and resonated with uh, included um, mission. Mm. Um, I think uh, one thing we've got to wrap our heads around is the fact that the church, the church doesn't exist for its own good. Mm-hmm. It exists yeah. for the good of even people who are outside the church yeah. and that's unique in human history. So I think when we start to highlight the things that are different, uh, within God's economy, this is one of them mm-hmm. that the church exists for other people's good. Yeah. Uh, formation, mm-hmm. I think was one that's really important to highlight maybe in particular mm-hmm. in our Western context where we seem to have lost our way in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is weird because we're a very self-actuated, self-help kind of a industry, but formation, how do you square yeah. that? 
Yeah, I don't. I, I like I, everybody's reading books on how to get better. I think you're right. I, I would love to hear what other people think about it. I, mm-hmm. Maybe it's because we have postured uh, the church as self-help, <laughs> yeah, in particular, mm-hmm. and that's not the that's not the direction with which God would have us be formed, mm-hmm. in particular. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. there's health that comes with being remade in the image mm-hmm. of God, but the posture seems a little different. Yeah, I mean, it's formation, something other than my own benefit my own power my own yeah, re- reflecting the blessings of god that i've received outward instead of swallowing it down myself mm, yeah. is, is uh, everything i do i do for the good of others and for the glory of god it's mm. it's, it's a different posture i think yeah. Yeah. than maybe the most self-help yeah books so you you like mm. um mission and formation as a critical Mm. aspect of the definition of church. Yeah. I mean, sure. there's a lot more that you said that I like, but I should probably get yeah, out of the way. Yeah, let's give somebody else point. an opportunity. Yeah. For, you, you probably do know most of the answers. Chris, Pavi, what do you think? Well, Reactions uh, to that? what I'd like to hear is what Pavi has to say. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Nice. Yeah. yeah, we can hear what you have to say yeah. anytime. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I thought that the way you paraphrase Paul saying it's uh, faith working out through love. Yeah. I feel like that that's beautiful and simple and wonderful and very anchoring. You know, we right. believe... And it flows out in love. Everything flows out of that. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Mike. There's a simplicity to it. Uh, you're describing church without focusing on forms mm-hmm. or structure, which uh, I love that. Yeah. We'll get to that, too, because yeah, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. how to yeah. form. Even even in the when I think about Paul's phrase about expressing itself in love, I think yeah. about all the traps mm. and all the right. misinformation about what love is, even yep. like... Wh- but if we could love the way God designed it, we really, we really theoretically wouldn't need any other commands. Mm. He well, said, it's, yeah. it's all this. Yeah. If you can, do, we, <laughs> if we know exactly sure. what that, what that means. Yeah. And because we don't, we end up having to put a lot of frameworks on it. And that, that point right there mm. is probably the thing that mm. jumped out to me in the midst of what you're talking about. Um, uh, you, you, you had taken the time to put together some questions for us to think about mm-hmm. before we, we got yeah. together. And you started with what is a basic healthy church? Mm-hmm. And at, at face value, that mm-hmm. seems like such a simple and, and foundational question to ask. Like a compassionate but, yeah. group of people. Yeah. But you just made the point that um, it's, it's far more complex than it maybe should be yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. Words like love, mm-hmm. words like faith, um, even the nature of the self-help identity that's woven its way into church culture, yeah. you know, the equation of getting better or advancing in life when that's yeah. not a formative process. Yeah. Um, it, that's, that's striking to me. Yeah. Uh, you also said a, a, something and I'm, I, I didn't quite catch the end of it. So I'll just start with <laughs> the beginning of it. You said the church is a Jesus rescued spirit led said something about faith and, and it was framed up as a kind of a new ethnicity. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more mm-hmm. about right. what you meant by that, because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I have an understanding of what ethnicity is, but to yeah. frame it this way was different. Yeah, it's provocative. Like I throw yeah. it in because I'm just a little bit tired of how fractured the church is, mm-hmm. particularly in spaces of ethnicity. Yeah, and I think I, I don't lack regard for the challenges that different ethnicities face. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated issue. I don't doubt that. But there is, there is this new identity in Christ that is, an, in effect, its own and ethnicity that is the core of our identity. I even, I even get a little agitated about um, the, the conversations about gender. 
But it's the same kind of thing. People are searching for their core identity. Is my core identity my nationality? Is my core identity my gender? And when it comes to Christianity, the church, our core identity, our ethnicity is Christ. It's, it's not any of these other things, which is what Paul taught dramatically so. All these divisions should fall away. All these walls that divide us, there is no more of that. Man, yeah. woman, Jew, Gentile, right? It is, we're all, we're, we're one. That's why I'm using that. You, do you like that word, ethnicity, in that space? It's complicated because yeah. the difficulty is like you see the early church and they're all Jewish. And then Gentiles come in, but then the Jews feel concerned that this is a Jewish faith. It's a Jewish Messiah. Right. And you've got to become a Jew first before you can uh, be a Jesus follower. Yes. So there's that whole complexity that... Which Paul rebuked yeah. outright. Well, there was this whole council in Acts 15 trying to figure this whole thing out. And Paul in Galatians or Paul in Romans is working at that. The, the challenge is uh, when a church uh, has a particular dominant ethnicity and that becomes normative unconsciously. Right. Then it's too easy for the gospel to sound like to come to practice your faith. You've got to become like us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that unconscious normativity... It's a difficult thing for minority people to respond to. So yeah. It feels like, no, no, I, I too count. Yeah. So sometimes when people talk about color blindness in the church, it's not a helpful thing because you want to see everyone individually as precious and made in the image right. of God and contributing equally to all of yeah. it. So I, I, I like, I mean, you are provocative. You, you do yeah. that. It's a, it's a great yeah. word to probe into what could the church look like if we took mm-hmm. it seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the very least, if you want to, if you have to gravitate away from the provocative nature of the word ethnicity, you have to dig into the fact that it our defining characteristic is nothing other than yeah. our faith in That's Christ. Right. Yep. And yep. we've got to rally around yeah. that. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think you know, they'll know they are we're Christians. That's right. By our love. Yeah more broadly spoken for me is they will know we are Christ followers <clears throat> by the way, our ethnicity and our gender yeah. and our differences do not divide us. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I don't know. Good. All right. Let's, um, wh- what is your, uh, earliest childhood memory of like, what are your mm. earliest memories of church of church? Mm. I, uh, I was thinking about this actually earlier because you had mentioned that we might yeah. tackle this. Yeah. Uh, I can't decide what's actually earlier. Uh, there was a lot of like hiding behind my parents being sort of shy and just sort of like, when will this be over? <laughs> like these people <laughs> seem to want to talk to me. Yeah. This, I'd much rather not have to. Was it to... a Lutheran church back in that day or no? No. Well, that's actually quite the controversy in my family history. It wasn't Lutheran, although that was uh, true to the consternation of my mom's side of the family. Actually, that even includes me being kidnapped as a baby so that I could be baptized into the Lutheran I church. I know. I wish we had time for that. Yeah. Is that, is that, is that, is that true? right? Yeah, my grandfather kidnapped me <laughs> for an hour or so to have me baptized. Because there was a real sense of tension there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, that was... That was this, uh, yeah, that was... I derailed, I derailed you. You were trying to remember... I just can't remember if that is just like the most, or or mm. my brother throwing up on stage during a wedding, uh, mm. which is one of the sacraments. But mm-hmm. um, I can't remember which one's earlier. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But I was always okay with church. I liked it. It's yeah. just like mm. 
mm-hmm. felt like a lot of pressure when adults were trying to speak to me. I just yeah. remember that. Yeah. yeah. I grew up Methodist. I have memories of wonderful older people, mm. wonderful mm. older mm. Christian people living their lives appropriately, yeah. worshiping, a um, lot of potlucks yeah. in the basement, very creepy basements, <laughs> old churches. Right. But it was a meaningful mm. communal experience. Mm. It, it wasn't very Christian in one mm. sense. <laughs> I didn't know a lot about Jesus and the gospel until I got to college, but that was a baby boomer older than the mm. baby boomer generation it just lived out their faith and really yeah. talk about it that much yeah it was a beautiful, beautiful. community yeah i i grew up in india you know that <clears throat> and the church we uh participated in was a very old uh, cathedral it's about 200 years old and the church was anglican the service was high church sung the whole thing was sung except the message and I loved it. I, I have very vivid, wonderful memories of, uh, yeah, falling asleep in the middle of the message and my mom pinching me away. You know? <laughs> but just the music and the reverence and the respect and the relationships. I think my early memories are very uh, filled with affection. Yeah. It was a good place. Yeah. I don't know how much I understood, but it was a safe place into which to start following. Yeah. One of the differences that I can recall from our conversations in the past was where in my home, it wasn't a overly engaged topic, Mm. but in your home, it was. It was. It was. Jesus was vividly real from uh, my pre-verbal recollections. My parents were uh, ordinary people, but very authentic, very devout, very much, uh, very practical, a real sense that Jesus is at the heart of all that we do. Mm -hmm. And even when I didn't like it, even when Jesus struck me as strange or uh, guiding me in ways I didn't want to follow. He was still very real. I just mm-hmm. had a choice to respond or not. Yeah. Uh, my parents were Anglican and Pentecostal. So there's that whole range. <laughs> Wait, one was Anglican and one was <laughs> no, Pentecostal? No, no, both. They were both, both Anglican, Anglican in the morning, Pentecostal. Pentecostal in the evening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. not a lot of those. That's right. And so <laughs> the, the, in India in particular, It's right? very common. It's very common. And so that, that was beautiful because there was the whole high church, reverend, wow. worshipful order, and then the freedom to yeah. uh, live in the spirit, yeah. which had its own, you know, good and complexities. Yeah. Yeah. And your first memories of the church were like 10 years ago or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, well, I wasn't raised in the church. Yeah. So uh, I, when, you, when you sent that question off, I was surprised that my first memory was, uh, I think it was a Lutheran church. And, um, Did they baptize you? Uh, well, no, I, <laughs> they kidnapped you. I, I remember leaving what would have been like Sunday school or something and going and just like walk in the grounds because there was a bully in that class. Mm. <laughs> I was like, if he's in here, I'm not. I just remember, remember making that decision. I don't have any recollection of like Christmas, Easter stuff. And then outside of that, I was thinking, oh, I think I met at a church for Cub Scouts. That's go. what I remember. That's yeah, it. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't start following Jesus until yeah, I was almost cool 25. Cool blue so. uniform? Until you were how, how old? Almost 25. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I remember uh, being up on a stage, getting a patch for something, you know, <laughs> some survival skill. Yeah. And uh, 
Shortly after that, I was told I wasn't going to make it to Eagle Scouts. So oh, I was wow. Like, Cub Scouts is stupid, too, so I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems to be. What, what did he think of church? What, what was, the, was that a mental concept or what that was? Uh, to be honest, uh, probably early teen years, I rejected the notion of mm. a... Um, uh, of a Darwinian mm. worldview, though I mm. wouldn't have called it that back mm. then. And I subscribed to a higher power, mm. and I figured it was aliens of some sort. <laughs> sweet. Because uh, okay. you know, there were a bunch yeah. of sweet alien movies at the time. So, yeah. And well, I traveled with that for a while, knowing it was more or less silly, yeah. but mm. I didn't have a better option. So I was 25. Wow. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, you know. And, you know. I was a primer. I was and a then primer. you just set your face in the right direction and keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> It worked uh, out. <laughs> I, I'm trying to um, share the facilitation with Chris during this particular discussion for a couple of reasons. One, he's a better facilitator, so I want him to do it. But I don't want to talk too much during this one. I really want to stay out of it as much mm. as I can. So yeah. we're going to try to share it a little bit. Um, one of the things I wanted to do, do Pavi, um, we're going to talk very generically, but a little bit more, uh, maybe more personally with regard to you. Yeah. Um, among number of things that I enjoy about you as a person, um, one of the things I enjoy about you and my friend, Dan, who's a pastor in mm, Kenya mm. is I resonate mm. more with, uh, African mm. church or even Eastern mm. church kind of way. It mm. just seems more, <laughs> it seems more biblical. Mm. Quite honestly, there's a natural relational, mm. slower paced. Um, but I don't want to over state mm. it myself. I don't know what it is, but mm. I've learned so much from you and my other friends that are different mm. from me, particularly about church and how it works and um, how we interrelate. How do you, You've been in the West for mm. a long time. Like, yeah. Can you draw distinctions? Actually, you brought this up when we were talking the other yeah. day. You yeah, I'm really to, you interested to, to hear this question. Mm. Yeah, because I'm actually I actually get concerned for the church in the East sometimes yeah. because I think from my friends in Cambodia and yeah. Northern India places, what I have perceived is they feel a sense of obligation to become like our mm. well, version yeah. and of the church. My, and I, yeah. I, I, friends I, watch yeah. it on TV and they're yeah. trying to replicate it. And I go there and sure. I try to tear it down as quick sure. as I can. But anyway, what, how do you, what is it? Yeah. How do they compare, contrast, how they're affecting I think each a, other? A one, uh, I've learned a lot from being in the West, for sure. One of the things that's striking about uh, the West, I, I suppose about modernity, but that Western culture is very influenced by defining everything around a goal. You specify a goal, you figure out how to get there, you break it down into components, and you take each task and put a project plan together. You build a structure, you fund it, you put the right leadership in place, mm-hmm. and you get the job done. Right. That's pretty much how uh, modernity has worked. I mean, modernity is a confidence that you can uh, find out what you need to do in order to get what you want. Mm. And so church also in the West uh, has, I think, been shaped by this kind of activism. And there's a lot of good to it. Once you yeah. know what needs to get be done, then the Western church gets it done. Yeah. Uh, but I do hesitate because it seems to me that the church is fundamentally a responsive community. There's a sense in which the church is constantly in a listening mode. Um, uh, you, you're listening to God in the Holy Spirit. You're listening 
to what he might be saying and then responding. You know, you're listening. We're listening to one another. What might sure. God be saying to us through each other rather than the guy on the screen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a listening that's going on there. And then you're listening to the world around you. What is actually happening that God wants me to engage with? So a yeah. lot of, it feels like there's a lot of listening that needs to go on. And, and you see this in the early church in Acts. They're praying, they're waiting, they're listening. And then God speaks and says, hey, I've set aside Paul and Barnabas for this task. Excellent. We're going to respond and do that. Yeah. So th- there's a balance, I think, between listening and then engaging. But it's simply too easy uh, to engage before we've heard. Yeah. Right. So perhaps that's uh, the, the benefit of uh, the Western approach is that once you've heard, let's go get it done. You know, yeah. so there's a... I what's think the alternative to that, or what's the Eastern um, view of that? If, if the Western view is yeah. identify the target, yeah. gather the resources, yeah. conquer the goal. It, I think it has to do with how the East and the West have understood power. I sure. think since Constantine, the Western church has always had a fair degree of power uh, through the state or, through, or otherwise. And therefore, there's an easier sense of, you know, I'm going to get it done. Yeah. Uh, plenty of places in the East, the church has been without power. So yeah. therefore, uh, the, it's a lot more prayerful because there's not much else you can do. I, I recall before I left India to come to the U.S. as a grad student, I was 19, uh, a couple of guys were mentoring me, said, you know, one of the things you're going to face when you get over there is that you'll have the resources and the capacity to get done whatever you think you need to get, you need to get done, and you'll forget to pray. You'll forget to yeah. listen. And I thought, absolutely, and I feel like that, I've struggled with that. Yeah. It's simply too easy to assume that I've heard and launch a new project or a new campaign mm-hmm. or a new ministry mm-hmm. without actually having heard. Yeah. So that... And, the, the, and when the church... Yeah. Just tell me if I'm going to, if this is too much of a tangent. It might be just because it's on my mind. When the church determines to do something mm. in the West. Yeah. Part of the equation now, and you mentioned this is power. Sure. We don't really know how to solve problems apart from That's power right. yeah. anymore. Yeah. And it's coming, it's becoming extreme. Yeah. Like even the entities that we used to rely on mm. to, um, expose yeah. power, like the journal yeah. journalism, yeah. Are, have now yeah. divided and joined those power right. sources. So right. it's, it's almost impossible to get anything done yeah. anymore or even to think that you can get anything yeah. done apart from yes. power. And you're, the you're putting has, a finger on a huge issue. Yep. And the church has embraced that. Absolutely. It has. 50 years ago, yeah. a handful of some of the brightest, bestest Christian leaders in America mm-hmm. joined together and, and, mm-hmm. and developed a... a a strategy sure. to, in, to invade, if yeah. you will, the yeah. major power centers of yeah. this country right. and work Christianity out That's from right. there. Yeah. And then you look at Jesus. Mm. You did a teaching for the, for the residents that, mm. that has stuck with me ever since. And how he laid, he, Jesus, his, his example is the opposite. Yes. Yeah. Talk about Jesus yeah, yeah. and power. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you, you named it really well. There is the temptation to feel like once I know what needs to happen, I mean, it would be wonderful if everybody in this world uh, was in love with Jesus and followed him faithfully. 
but can I make that happen through the use of power? Jesus says no. And, and Paul says no. I think the book of Second Corinthians in particular, he's writing a letter to a church that he had started, but now new leaders had come in who were very skilled communicators and skilled leaders and skilled rhetoricians. And in, in the eyes of the Corinthian church, uh, these people were better leaders than Paul. And the whole letter is he's, he's in this tortured explanation of how God works through weakness, mm-hmm. not through strength, not through the wisdom of the world, but what the world sees as foolish, mm-hmm. and how you come, you, you come under to go up in the kingdom of God. He, he talks about Jesus, who had all the riches, but for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty could become yeah. rich. So there's a powerful stream of thought core to the gospel, core to how we uh, are to follow Jesus that says power is not the way. And yet the church for the last, what, 1800 years now has consistently fallen into the trap of if I get political power, if I acquire wealth, yep. if, I, if I'm the most popular, mm-hmm. if I'm something, then somehow the kingdom of God is going to happen. That seems disastrous. It is. It's It's oftentimes, maybe not, but I'm going to say it's actually at times well-motivated. Yes. We think we're we're trying to solve a very difficult problem. We're trying to eliminate some kind of wrongful sort of behavior, some wrongful action, some out of control space. And we think, okay, this is bad. It's not Christian. It's not godly. I've got to. That's right. We've got to somehow get on top of this That's and right. overpower it. That's right. And it always goes bad. It always goes Consistently bad. Consistently goes bad. Yeah. It always goes bad. The alternative seems very passive to yes. a Westerner. Yep. Um, like we're quitting. Mm-hmm. And so now, <laughs> um, okay, so we have to, should we take a little yeah. quick break? Uh, yeah, we need to come back to this. Yes. There's we had a, more than a few things that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the more practical-minded of us, yeah. that sounded terrible. What I mean That's is true. we need to bring this down yeah. to... Because we are a, well, what do I do with that That's right. culture? Yeah, yeah. The so how do we translate the, what we're talking about? The transition will be, yeah. power, among other things, have pushed the church down the wrong path. Yes. It's arrived at a particular place, and yeah. the pandemic has begun to tear it down. Mm-hmm. And just like any time somebody's power starts getting taken mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. even though po- power gets ugly, taking away power gets That's even more ugly. exactly right. <laughs> so... So let's uh, let's take a, let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll we get, regather ourselves and get on back on track. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's keep going on this. Uh, try to pull it in a little bit at the same time. <laughs> let it go. I don't know how to do that, but <laughs> what we're going to try to do. Um, we started talking about power, and I'd be interested, even in your comments, you make them below the the video here. How are you seeing? Or where do you see issues of power, maybe particularly in the church, but really anywhere uh, that are misguided? Mm. Um, where, where do you see the church having opportunities to maybe go a different way? What are the problems that you see arising if you don't have power? This whole concept of can we accomplish something in Christianity without power? Mm. I would hope so. It's been the example of Jesus mm. since the very beginning. Uh, so, so here we are. Um, I'm not sure. Do you know where you, how you would transition into something else here, Chris? I, I do want to talk. Like, I do want to talk about our observations in a very practical way about what have we seen 
exposed mm -hmm. through the pandemic in the church. Mm. Yeah. It was up yeah. to me. I would ask probably that question mm. right now and say, what are you all seeing yeah. uh, at Heritage? What, what have you seen? Mm. What are you concerned about? I think that's a good transition. Um, uh, while we cut away briefly, sorry, if I can't say that, but I just did. Um, we talked uh, briefly about the nature of power and what was exposed in the midst of 2020. Um, there's much about this this structure of how we engage and leverage mm. power culturally within the church landscape. Uh, it was exposed to something that it wasn't working. It was exposed to something that wasn't healthy. Um, and maybe many of our reactions were based upon our understanding of what power is or isn't. And maybe they weren't the best reactions as the church, as a faith community. Um, so it, I think it would be important for us to to talk about some of those things. Mm. Um, my reaction to much of what you heard is um, uh, it's inescapable, inescapable that part of our culture is a, well, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. I, I, tell me what to do. Yeah, because most people are not even going to, I think, and this isn't a minimizing statement. I don't think most people travel with an understanding of how the church is wielding power. Mm -hmm. Most people come to church, they serve, they give, they worship, they pray, get involved not really intimately associated with the way we're trying yeah. to accomplish in the church. Maybe we need to describe that a little bit, but is it fair to say that grappling with this though is incredibly important? Um, it, the thing that's weighing on me right now is I know in the midst of this, there are things that we call true that are actually lies. And we mm -hmm. believe those lies in the midst of this. Yeah. And it affects how we relate with one another. Mm -hmm. it, reflects, it reflects how our teams relate, how our organizations relate, how we engage society and culture. Is what he's saying, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. No. I just want to cut. Adam, probably, but does what he, is what he's saying, can you connect with it and mm -hmm. think of examples of what he's trying to describe about what we've uncovered? Lies, power, wrong models, things like mm -hmm. that. Like what comes to your mind or what have you experienced or what have you seen? It's the outworking of the very things we're talking about. It seems like a, an, an obvious and maybe very present and very complex example would be uh, political power. This, the idea that if, if Christians acquire political power, then they can further the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of millennia of history to show us that that actually takes us, gets us into trouble. Why has that been the case? That might be helpful to know. Yeah. So it, it seems like the kind of power Jesus is talking about is the, is the, is the miraculous capacity through the Holy Spirit. For me, a very selfish, self-centered, uh, ambitious person to actually take all that I have and use that to serve you so that you can flourish, that you can prosper, mm -hmm. that you can uh, find life. Mm -hmm. uh, but that that's going to take me giving up all those things that seem utterly natural to me yeah. and things that seem utterly justified by the world around me, which, yeah. uh, which applauds me when I succeed or when I climb the ladder or, or whatever. Yeah. But the Jesus way seems to be, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Mm. Or if you're going to come follow me, pick up your cross and come follow me. If you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. So there's so much inversion going on, and it's so difficult that that's the power I think the Holy Spirit uh, gives us to yeah. be able to give yourself up so that others may, may flourish. You said something that stuck with me years ago that 
You can't be a Christian and maximize your life. That's right. What Jesus said, what he said. And this goes back to self-help. Yeah. Yeah, when, actually, that goes back to formation. When we go that's, to that's church right. yep. as another thing to help me maximize my life, Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm using it. That's right. So I have my job. That's that right. earns me the capacity to function yeah. in this economy yeah. with some currency, gives me power, yeah. gives me something. I go to the gym yeah. physically. I go to my counselor emotionally. Mm. I go to school intellectually, and I go to church spiritually all so that That's I right. can become That's right. awesome. That's right. And maximize my life. That's right. And live your best life now. So, yes. And so when the church capitulates yeah. to that, it yeah. says, you know, if you come here yeah. to this church, you be yeah. a part of this church, you're going to be awesome. That's right. You're yeah. going to maximize your yeah. life. It's all going to come together. Yeah. And instead we should be saying what? Come here and come here and become who you're meant to be. That's a, that's a, that's a different thing than saying maximize mm. your life. Well, who are we meant to be? Well, because this is what the church is supposed to do, mm-hmm. help you become who you're meant to be. So answer this question, well, and we'll start building a model around Well, that's, that's how it's Christological, because yeah. Jesus is who I was meant to be. He's the yeah. fully human being. Perfect. We have to hold on to two ends of the spectrum with him. We see you know, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, he's the image of the invisible God. Yet he's also the one who's perfectly living out the, mm. the, the human vocation. And so... I think maybe what happens or has happened to the church in history is perhaps we start to ask the wrong kinds of questions. One of the ones that we'd start to ask is maybe just too vacuous. We say something like, what works? And it's so vacuous that we fill it with human instinct rather than revealed mystery and uh, beauty. Uh. So we say, what, what, what works? Instead of saying like, okay, Let's start with Christ. Mm. What can I immerse myself in with Christ and Mm. build out only what I also find in Christ? Mm. And so you might say, let's start with a Christological model for the church. Or you might say, let's start with a Trinitarian model for the church where you say, like you were talking about earlier with the ethnicities, what do you see in the heavenly community, in the Trinity? Well, you see distinction and unity Mm. where Nobody is subsumed, but they are, in fact, deferring to one another in yeah. this heavenly community. We say, well, what if we started there and we said, let, <clears throat> let what's true about the heavenly community be true about the church. Mm. Let's only build out what we find in the Trinity. Let's mm. only build out what we find in the church. Right. Yeah. Instead of having a vacuous question like what works that sucks in all the world's answers and then says, well, which one do I think Practically, will do the job. Can you run with that? Can you run with that a little Can bit? I ask like a quick true. question. Yeah, yeah. If you were to encapsulate in or make an attempt to, to in, the, in the simplest form possible, the 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 tagline would be something like, "Don't don't you're not coming here to find yourself or to maximize your life. You you're coming here to find Jesus." Or lose something it, lose along your, those lines. You lose your life. Because I thought mm. you were going to say you're mm. coming here to die mm. well, to yourself. But you said yeah. to be the person you're meant to be, which is a more attractive statement. Than which is exactly like Philippians 2, like Pavi mentioned earlier, where there is this sense of a V-shaped life. You are meant to join Jesus in planting yourself in the ground for the good of others. 
that is the opposite of the, you know, constant progressional idea of escalating. It's a, it's a V shape. We trust God so much that we know if I sacrifice for the good of others, mm. he will raise me up right. uh, to be with him. The ultimate good of that. So, and, and that is part of the upside down nature of you used yeah. the word inversion. I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, you said something that um, I'd also like to hear some further thought about, which was uh, something along the lines of what power we have is meant to be leveraged for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not that power itself is wrong. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's That's the application. Right. That's exactly right. So could you? Yeah. Um, what will be an example of that? Is it as yeah. simple as? Uh, I have been given resources, yeah. and so my responsibility is to leverage those resources yeah. for the sake of it's others. A good question. If if we look at the world as a sort of a zero sum game, as a what? A zero sum game. Zero sum game. If you look at the world as someone's going to win, someone's going to lose, it feels a lot better to win than to lose. Or there are only so many resources, and if you take that, then I won't have what I want. So at that point, there's a profound insecurity that then drives an acquisitiveness. And I think that has shaped so much of how we've learned to relate to one another. And, you know, you want to be generous, but not at the cost of X. But supposing we actually believed, and this goes back to uh, faith working itself out in love, if you actually believe that I am the child of God Almighty, and I'm covered, I'm good, whatever happens, I'm safe. I'm, I'm good with him. And if that's true, then whatever I have, I can freely give away because there'll be just plenty more to then keep giving away. Mm. And if that's the case, that God has made all grace abound to us so that always having all sufficiency in all things, we'll have an abundance for every good work, then you're set free to not take, to not covet, to not acquire, to not uh, exert power over, but to get under mm. and to simply give your life away, mm-hmm. which is the gospel. This is what Jesus did. He gave his life away so we might find life. The, sometimes the gospel gets truncated there and we think, well, he did that so that I can then become the best me that I can possibly right. be, right? right? It stops right there. But he says, no, no, come with me. Pick up that cross and follow me. So follow him into that very same posture. That would be an outworking of... Uh, so when you see someone who's different than you, who, who you feel a little threatened by, there's not the fear of, I've got to put up a wall and safeguard myself from this person as much as how do I get to give away what's being poured out into me so that this person too can get to know that Jesus has transformed my world? See, that's the inversion. That's so then all the power that you have, and we have a lot of power, right? I mean, we do yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so much. All the power that we we have, if we then take that and say, this is for the sake of the weak, the poor, the marginalized, the ones who are oppressed, so that they too can experience life like we've been given. That's a different way of approaching it, right? Yeah. yeah, I think the a word picture that has been very helpful to me in just seeing God's good purposes for the church, for his people, is as a prism. Yeah. That which receives the blessing of God and then refracts yes. it into all That's of creation. Right. That's right. And, you know, Jesus says things like, you know, don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth where, you know, moth and rust will yeah. destroy it. I think there's also a way in which it, when we are storing up treasure for ourselves, swallowing down the blessings of God, that's moth and rust destroying us. Yeah. It's, it's not until we're giving it away, refracting yes. the blessings of God outwards, that yeah. we're actually being 
you know, love that. clicked into place to where the human being was meant to be in, in our position between God and the rest of creation is this privilege of being mm-hmm. a prism. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I heard someone say right. once upon a time, <laughs> right? Like Abraham, what's the flow of Genesis yeah. chapter 12 other than God says, I'm going to bless you. And this could be great because you're going to get to bless everyone. It's going to be great. So I'm hearing all kinds of triggers here. <laughs> You know, you, you talk about accumulation, you talk about abundance, uh-huh. and and how can we talk about such things in a way that maybe you can't avoid the triggers that people have around this, especially yeah. those that are well-to-do and sure. have, have resources, but in a way, call them out for what they are yeah. in the hopes that they're mitigated in some way. It, it's almost like, how can you make it easier for me to wrestle with this, yeah. which is a, a weird way to put it, because wrestling is, is a hard thing to do. Yeah. But I can hear someone, uh, I can almost hear the, gle- the, the trigger right now. Mm. It's, you're saying I can't accumulate wealth right. or I can't have wealth or that it's wrong. You know, people start to progressively take it someplace where you didn't even say that. So how do we, how do we have this dialogue? How do we shepherd and lead and, and, and pull people, push people, it's you know, whatever the, the, the language is? I, I, can I jump in? Yes, I, please. I love it because I am rich. I have so much. It's astonishing to me how much I have that I take for granted. And mm-hmm. I suppose most of us, we do belong to that tiny percentage when you compare to the whole. We have so much. And it's easy to allow having much to drive you into a place of guilt or weirdness, you know. Or you, or you can flip it around and say, my goodness, I've been given so much, I have the opportunity to then give. And so start taking little steps, you know. I might give this much to this situation and think, well, that was a lot, but maybe tomorrow I could take a bigger step. And then slowly you discover the joy that comes from being able to give to others who have Why don't little. people believe that? Well, because the world has trained us in a different way of thinking. It's trained us into acquisitiveness and competition. And if I, if I win, you have to lose. That, that kind of mentality well, is so basic. The only way basic. for me to win that's is right. if you lose. That's, that's so basic to our, the way we raise our kids, the educational system, the way the, the market works, the way... Mm-hmm. Uh, your corporate career, it's so basic to everything that we can't think that there's another way. If I don't maximize my life, I have been irresponsible. That's right. Yeah, you've been discipled. That's, right. That's how we are discipled. Yeah. We have to right. realize, like, we talk about discipleship as though there's only one source of discipleship, and we kind of come in and out of that source. And no, you're being discipled all the time in your life. Mm. The question is, what source is currently discipling mm. you? And the, the the modern and Western way of doing church says, okay, I will be discipled by the Spirit of God mm. on Sunday mornings, and, you know, I might manage to give a Wednesday evening. Yeah. But it's like, well, how many other hours of the day are you being discipled by something else? Mm. I think that might be actually one of the more fundamental yeah. differences between the ancient church, church as a way of life, mm. where they're constantly being discipled, yeah. Versus our model, which says, I'm going to be discipled by the world 98% of the week, but I'm going to take a hammer to it for a couple of hours a week and just hope that it all comes out, you know? Mm. So, yeah, there's a sense uh, you've been discipled to think I need a max. It's, it's, that's, it's what's right. This is where it gets creepy yeah. for me, honestly. Uh, maybe this is an oversimplistic way to describe discipleship, but you're being taught and formed to follow something or someone. Right an ideal, a worldview. And the way you frame that leaves me feeling 
well, I've been taught to follow, but it doesn't feel like I'm following Mm. the Jesus of the Bible, Mm -hmm. the Jesus who has saved us. Mm. So I must be following someone or something else Mm. 98% of the time. Can you, I mean, can you actually live that way? I mean, you can survive maybe. Well, I it, think it gets it, it gets worse than that. If I can make it even <laughs> yeah. worse, we we import that same way of thinking into the church, and we structure the church around levels of power. Let's we talk. S- about, keep going. Yeah, no, no. Practical. But, uh, practically, that's, that's like, right. And, and within the church, we create these hierarchies and these little ladders of spirituality that people ascend. So the same mindset is still there. You're not going down. You're still going up. You might be saying I'm going down, but really you're not. And then churches then start competing with each other because I might have discovered something, Mike, that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's helping my church make progress in ways that, and I'm not going to share that with you or I'm going to, you, you see what I'm yeah, talking about? Sure. Till we build up a whole hierarchy into the kind of celebrity leadership in Christian yes. circles. That's devastating. Mm-hmm. It's antithetical to the gospel. And yet we seem to do just fine with that. Yeah. And it's age old. Yep. Right. That's Constantinianism, right? I what follow, happens to the church? They start to look like the Roman Empire. Yeah, I'll go back to Paul. I follow Paul. I follow yeah. Peter. I follow Paul. It's the here's same the, dynamic. Here's yeah. the trap for me. A pastor, yeah. you might struggle with this as yeah. well, probably less so, but um, just like it's not wrong to have money, mm. it's not wrong to have power, mm-hmm. it's what you do with it. That's right. What happens to me as a pastor is, yeah, I realize there are hierarchies here, yeah. and I realize I'm doing some things better, and I've, yeah. got, I've discovered some way to do something, but it's okay mm. because I'm leveraging it that's right. for good. That's right. Is that okay? That's the temptation, right? Yeah, that, that's right. And the calculus of it might be, okay, I step out a few bodies here, but a thousand people out there are being blessed. So that's right. sort of, yeah. I, I think not because it seems like the gospel says if you have authority in the church or power as a pastor, then that power is given to you to give yourself away so that the church can be built up mm-hmm. for real. So mm-hmm. that you're not doing things that are beneficial to your own sense right. of whatever, but you're genuinely using all that is in your hand to help others, the weak, particularly the weak among us, yeah. to be blessed. If, if you're doing that, then you're using power well, which is why to be an elder in a church takes character, the qualification that mm-hmm. Paul talks about. So, so you, you will be uh, judged for it. Those who teach will be judged for what they say. Mm-hmm. Those who use power will be held to account for the way they use power. Right. So I feel like we could have had this conversation a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, power conversations. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more familiarity with the concept right mm-hmm. now than what I recall. Mm-hmm. But have you seen this exposed in a new and different yeah. way in the last year? Oh, yes. How? Oh, yes, because uh, power is usually acquired and um, maintained through structures, through uh, channels, the exoskeleton that you talked about from Boston Dynamics. And churches have become those sorts of structures. And when that blew up, when the fact that you can't gather together, you don't have the same channels of uh, leadership that you used to have, most leaders I know felt profoundly insecure and disrupted. Mm-hmm. There was this almost panic in all of us as pastors. Mm-hmm. We think this way. How do we make this work? What, what do we do to get back to what church used to be like, which it's never going to be? You know that, right? I hope not. I hope not. Absolutely. It, it's, it's a wonderful thing that this disruption has happened because then you, ha- you, you get to stop and say, well, what did Jesus actually mean? What was he talking about? What was community supposed to be like? 
we have a chance perhaps to rethink some of that, which in older times you kind of went with the flow because that's a structure. You have your critical success indicators. You just kind of work them. Yeah. Now you start over, which is wonderful. Wonderful. If we take advantage of it. If we take advantage of it. It's a scary space. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I'd like to answer it. Like, what should we do differently going forward? How should we do it? We are solidly right in what I think you have affirmed as the right first step. Nothing. Mm -hmm. We're trying. Mm -hmm. I'm continuing to try to get our church, me Mm -hmm. included, Mm -hmm. to just keep listening. That's so good, Mike. To be learning. We're just talking about learning. Have Mm -hmm. we learned it all? Probably not. Mm -hmm. We need to keep learning. The pandemic is ending. We're aiming months down the Mm -hmm. road from now for that very reason. Mm -hmm. We don't want to rush back. Well, we kind of do. But there's something. There's a... There's a principle in play right now where we're yeah. thinking rushing back probably isn't best. Yeah. And I've got the affirmation from a number of people yeah. in the church. Let's not just automatically, mm-hmm. let's go at a pace mm-hmm. that is strategically good yeah. rather than instantly good. Yeah. How, what would be the indicators? What would be the evidence that we will come out of this pandemic a better church? Mm. What would we have to change? What, how, what a great <laughs> I don't know question. what the right question yeah. is, but what, what should go away? Yeah. What should be reintroduced? Well, I think in terms of understanding the practicals of that, I am completely lost. I, I'm not very good at thinking practically. Okay. Well, that's all I want. So you stop talking. I will no, talk I'm kidding. Only one more <laughs> sentence. I do think there is maybe one bellwether that could give us a sense of like, are we following the spirit of God in the right direction? And I think that is the dissolving of jealousy oh, between good. one another within yeah. a church, between churches, yeah. a, a church that is relinquishing control to the spirit of God and following after Jesus would never have any reason to be jealous of mm-hmm. anyone else. Got it. Dissolve jealousy. Yes. yes. <laughs> Step it. one. Number one. <laughs> Sorry. I don't so know. That, as, as for the practicals, I will be quiet. Yeah. So here are a few things that occurred to me. Is okay. that okay if I jump in? It goes back to that sense of the church being a responsive community. I think if the church came out of this with a new resolve and uh, commitment to spend concrete time listening together with the Holy Spirit. If you actually said, we're going to come together and put something before uh, the Lord and then listen. And what are you sensing? What are you mm-hmm. sensing? And take the risk of listening because he might say something you might not want to hear. So you listen to that's him. That's great. Okay, we second, already did that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's but did good. you dissolve jealousy? Last, <laughs> I didn't dissolve jealousy yet. But I, so we got dissolved jealousy, resolved to listen. Last Thursday, yeah. we had a leadership community meeting, and I asked them to pray yeah. and listen yeah. for 72 hours yeah. and let me know what they heard. You, you, yeah, that's so right. we're that's done. It. That, we're not done. We're we're not done. done. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, the East to Mike. Yeah. You're not done yet. <laughs> no, no. Okay, well, okay, because what? if that becomes a habitual practice of the church, I, I'm being funny, but here's the thing. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't even know how to ask people to just keep doing that. Right. Mm, that's mm. the problem. I would love to, but how do you, yeah. that's, there's your Western society. Yeah. I'm being facetious. We listened. Yeah. We did it. We did now it. what? Now what? But you're suggesting 
continual mm, mm. prayer, yeah, consistent that's right. listening. listening. That's right. What does that look like practically? Yeah. The, well, that's the stuff you'll have to flesh out in the way you're, you're structured, you know, life groups or mm-hmm. the meetings that you have. You start thinking, how do, how do we factor in an honest space to listen every time we're together? What can we put before him and listen? Okay. So that's one so part of it. in all spaces. All spaces. The second part of it is that if you come out of it learning to listen to one another, that the voice of God operates through all of us, not just the people who you see on the screen or on the platform. But there was a way for every person in the church to feel heard. So this is what I'm sensing. What about this? Then we're listening to each other. And then if we intentionally said we're going to listen to the world around us for the, the places where the world is in pain, that we can be present in, that seems to be gospel work, right? And, and so, so it seems to me, at least my prayer for our church has been, if we can come out learning to listen more to the Spirit, to take those risks, what if I listen and he says nothing? I just feel foolish. I just sat here for 10 minutes and nothing happened. Well, that's okay. That's totally mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. But we keep listening. And then to listen to one another, which is kind of hard because sometimes as leaders, we have an idea and a project and a structure and a way we want to get things done. And now somebody comes up and says something totally different. Now, Mm -hmm. how do I practically make that work? But surely, if you're not listening to each other, something is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. There are two powers being not used well. And then third, to the world around us, I feel like mission so often has gotten narrowed down into, I'm going to send people uh, to take the gospel to an unreached group far away, or here's some money, go and do something good with it. You know, it gets reduced to that. But if you start thinking... How can, I, how can we as a church look at what is happening around us and then find ways to actively participate in this where we can bring justice to a space that is broken, where we can bring healing to a place that is profoundly hurt? If we then think that's who we're supposed to be, then I think we would have come out better because the structures that have been disrupted by COVID might have been the very prison that has kept us from some of these spaces. I love everything you just said. It, um, uh, one of the, I think, great opportunities we've been presented with, one of the great freedoms we've been offered is this, the ability to embrace, the, I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I don't know what to do next, uh-huh. which if you're willing to embrace that, uh-huh. it forces you into a posture of listening. Uh-huh. Um, and I've seen it in Mike. I've seen it in Adam. I've seen it in the other leaders uh-huh. here where... It doesn't mean we're not attempting to do something, but but we're holding loosely to it, knowing that we may have to change because God says, not that, it's mm, this. That's so good. But if we're not sitting here yeah. with the idea of, I'm not doing this because I know what to do. Yeah. My, my, my heart breaks when I've talked to other leaders and teams out there, and there's been this urgent scramble to get back to what makes sense right. and what I can control and what yeah. I feel like I know. Yeah. And... Urgent sense to get back to control. That's yeah, right. There's that, a lot of urgency. Right. So yeah. Pretty close. A lot of anxiety around power. Control, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? totally. And and we've we have gone through waves of feeling the anxiety of not having an answer. Mm. Yeah. And 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 God has been really patient with us. I think as mm. a team to just keep saying no, keep following, mm. keep listening. I th- I gotta ask this question. Do you have something for I do? Do you think it might? I can wait. No, go ahead. I'll use it later. Okay. <laughs> I. I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, the resistance here. <clears throat> I could hear people, particularly even just, just in the Vista community yeah. going, 
look, you guys are the ones that are driving a bunch of work. Mm. You want us to go downtown. You want us to go over there and work on that thing. I think, and we just want to come to church. Mm. And I think we, we don't want to be passive. I don't think Mm -hmm. maybe we, maybe, maybe that is the same as listening. Actively passive. But I could, I feel like the church in some ways, we do have these hierarchical power things, but they seem to exist for the most part at the, at the leadership level. 75 to 80% of the church is just showing up Mm. to worship, to sing, to pray and to go home. Mm. Uh, I feel like, it wouldn't be hard to translate that into let's just listen. In fact, I could hear a lot of people just saying, we'd love to just come and hang out on Sunday morning and mm. not do anything. Mm. You're trying to get us to do all kinds of things. Yeah. You're telling us churches 24 yeah. seven and you gotta, you gotta reach your fit neighbor and yeah. your associate yeah. and learn how to share the gospel. <laughs> I think I, you know what I'm saying? I do. How do you resist it? I, People would just say, look, if you don't want me to go do anything yeah. and just listen, I'm all in. Yeah. I can see people wouldn't even resist that. Yeah. Let me live my life. I'll just listen for an hour every morning. If that's what Christianity comes down to, that's a lot easier than everything you're asking me to do. You, you know, the, the, the trouble, Mike, with listening is you might hear. And then what? And that then catapults us into movement. If you're listening to the world around us and we sense the brokenness in so many spaces, then you can't just then walk away and say, well, I heard that. Okay, so you're saying basically the church has been about the wrong activity. Possibly. We could have reversed the flow. We, we just, we could it's have, not that there's not something to accomplish or something to do, Yeah. but we have to be continually sensitive and right. responsive was That's the right. word you said. Yeah. And we get, this is the way I've put it in the past, is what we really want as Westerners even mm-hmm. is for Jesus to teach us how to do it and then let us go do it. Mm-hmm. Rather than I have this yeah. sermon I'm building in my head where Jesus is a bad parent, actually. <laughs> Good parents raise their children and then send them off. Mm. And Jesus says, I'm never leaving. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to go to college with you yeah. and to work with yeah. you. And, into the, I'm, and so there's this idea where Jesus says, I need you to be listening to me always. I need yeah. you to be responsive to me always. It's never you just now go off and do yeah. it on your own. Yeah. And maybe the church has drifted off Could we? on their own, yeah. working it out rather than Jesus, what do you mean to do today? Yeah, yeah. Maybe How I could speak to, to that out of my own brokenness, my own stuff. Uh, it is really, for me, much easier to come up with six cool plans than to listen quietly for an hour. Oh, yeah. I can rattle off cool ideas all the time. And a lot of times the plans that I come up with, honestly, uh, are ways that I can fill an insecurity within me. Though I don't say it, it's like that. I I don't communicate it like that. There's something within me that I'm trying to meet through all these cool ideas Mm -hmm. and plans, you know. Uh, But if I can stop, if I can learn to stop and say, well, I don't need to do things driven out of my insecurity. I can simply listen, and when he leads, I'll follow. He might lead in ways I don't want to go. In fact, that's what Jesus told Peter. They're going to come and lead you in a path that you don't want to take. Yeah. But then you follow, and if you did that, and I want to, I, I, I'm not saying this is someone who's figured this out. I, I struggle with this every day. But I want to progressively move my life more into, uh, will you speak to me, and then can I follow you, mm-hmm. rather than 
um, I want to be seen as a, a leader who comes up with great plans yeah. and then asks God to bless. So we come up with a plan, then we have a prayer meeting to bless the plan. Yeah. There's that conversion yeah. there. Yeah. How does that work out? So when we first launched Vista, I would say that was, that was kind of our mindset is we wanted to release people mm. to understand how it is God wanted to direct and use mm. them in their life. And then we would try to get behind that. Yeah. Which results in, if you, let's just say, for example, you have 250 people in your church. Yeah. You have 250 <laughs> yeah. ministries. That's right. Yeah. Which is great if it's kind of personal and you're reaching your neighbor and yeah. you're trying to help them. Uh, yeah. It should be happening all the yeah. time. Is there something that we should do cooperatively together? I mean, to have people listen and hear yeah. and do is right. We have that model. Listen, obey. And help someone else to listen and obey. Right, right. Is there something we should be hearing as a church? Mm, yes. And then go do it. Yeah. And con- consolidate our resources yeah. and go do it. Yeah. That is it. Two things. Yeah. Is that one thing? Well, it sounds amazing because what then if uh, many churches or two churches decide to listen together, what might they hear? Yeah. And what might a city hear if they mm-hmm. listen together? Again, you have to put to death the jealousy that you, I think you, you pegged it there. There's things that keep us from each other. I think the jealousy comes out of that poverty mindset, right? If you have something nice, I won't have something nice. Yeah. But if we don't have that, then there could be freedom for a whole lot more. Yeah, I mean, we, we see Paul in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 talking about the church as a body, and we have, you know, in the West, thought of that as one small body in Northeast Columbus, a different one, and mm-hmm. Southwest of Columbus. And maybe what we need to start to talk about is a body of bodies yeah. where each church is maybe gifted uniquely in, you know, in traveling with the spirit in local ways, local to their church community, but always, always connected to the larger body. There's a body of bodies, yeah, not just individuals making up a body in one church, but church bodies connected by the spirit of God that we have the privilege to serve. And that sounds exponentially harder, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it really does. That actually scale. sounds impossible. That's right. Except go ahead. No, you go. Right. No, you go. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm, you want to be on top of it. That's yeah. one of the temptations. Yeah, that's one, of the tempta- right. one of the temptations to be on top of it. Yeah. Here's if, if I'm being completely, and I have to make sure we all agree with what I agree with. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Work, that's so. right. Uh, if I'm being completely frank, I, don't want to be on top of it. That's not my style, but I don't want to be a part of something that's just languishing uh-huh, along. Uh-huh. And so I yeah. tend to get on top of it right. or out in front of it. Not because I want to be, because there's nothing happening. That's right. I, I, hear <laughs> I don't know how to balance I, I that. You. It's like, I would love to see us all do something, but it seems like this, maybe this is just my Western mindset. I don't know how to not just stand up on the table. Okay. Everybody wants to do something. What is it? Let's go. That's you right. know, it's like somebody's right. going to have to be like get yes. on top of it. And yeah. I don't want to be on top of it, but I don't want to be a part of something where someone's not on top of it. Yeah. I mean, th- this, it. Is, this is the kind of stuff that I think the spirit of God comes as to give us power to actually do things that seem utterly impossible in, in the flesh. But perhaps that is going to have to wait until we can listen. Can I uh, share a story with you guys? Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope it's the last story. Yeah, it is because we're, we're running <laughs> we out of time. We have to finish. But oh, this is so fun, guys. It is, you talked about a body of bodies. Yeah. 
Uh, you talked about what would it look like if if uh, two communities cooperated for the sake of something yeah, greater yeah. like the city. Yeah. This this story just came in uh, yesterday, and and we've had the privilege of seeing these stories begin mm. to unfold. Uh, saw an email forwarded by our friend downtown by a person who I assumed somebody here would recognize the name, and they didn't. I passed it around. They're like, I don't mm. know who this person is. This person heard about one of our conversations talking about a growing heart we have for the city, a growing heart for partnering and ministering in the city. And this person was liquidating their office and decided, no, I'm going to donate my office. Can you help connect the resources? What this has quickly evolved into is we reached out to our friend. They said, of course, we can use these goods, but not in a way that, that I would have guessed He's, in turn, developing a, a friendship with some type of a freight, mm. logistical something. He's like, could you hold on to those goods for us until I can connect the dot with Amazing. this other distribution Amazing. point? Totally out of our control, yeah. not by design. And so the team's like, well, let's make some space in the warehouse yeah. so we can just hold these goods yeah. for others. Whatever that is, I don't know how you scale that. I don't yeah. know how you make it about Sunday morning or you brand it. Whatever that is. We, we get to ha- have the privilege of being a part of that story. And I think it's exactly what I, I you're talking about. I have two strong reactions to your story. Can I? Yes. You can only share one. Oh, so. no, 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 no. One is that whatever that is, it's the spirit. Yeah, There's yes. There's things going on that we don't know that he's connecting, right? The second, the killer for all of this is that word scale. Yes. I, I think the minute we take something that he's done and we want to try to scale it, because it seems obvious that scaling yeah. is better, something back comes in. That's always my natural reaction, okay. well, and then I immediately um, have to repent because I, I, I realize that's a, a just, guy, you know. A guy who mentored me in my 20s said, if, uh, if Joshua took Jericho today, next week he'll be on tour doing a seminar on how to take a city in seven days. Yeah, right. 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 that's right. right. Yeah. How? <laughs> what we're trying to do here is build a system to maximize never maximizing your life. <laughs> you know what Ooh, I mean? Yeah. That's, the, that's the catch 22 is how do you, okay, if everybody, if the goal is for everybody to yeah. minimize their yeah. life and to give their life away, yeah. how do we maximize that? Well, what, what if your tagline <laughs> you know, was come and learn to give your life away? You just said that. What yeah. if that was it? That's why we're here. Yeah. Let's, let's end with that. Come and learn how to give your life away. Yeah. That's what the future church has to be a yeah, community. Right. right after you dissolve jealousy. Yeah. That, <laughs> step two which is. Which it will take. Which it will take. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, the, that's the vocation. That's the human vocation. Frederick Buechner says, where yes. our great joy meets the right. world's great need, right. where we have the joy of giving ourselves away. Mm. Right. So it's, it's, let's not try to build something that's going to do that. Mm. Let's instead... Try to cooperate together in mysterious, mm. unique, mm. unscalable, right. but unstoppable ways of being that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just be a city full of Christ centered. Christians. <laughs> well, that seems pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> That's Thanks. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Any final, do you have a final? And is that, is that? Just a delight, Mike. Thank you guys yeah. for Thanks, inviting Bobby. me. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Really. Um, Thank you.
Uh, we'll be here talking about this for the next three or four hours. We're glad you right. could be here for this uh, 75 minutes. See you again soon.